good evening, everybody. It's a great privilege to be with you all again this evening. I feel a bit of a fraud sitting up here this evening because I feel I'm talking about something that I'm really not very good at and I've never found easy. Always been a struggle. I'm basically pretty shy by nature. I hate sitting up here for starters. But I came to faith in my first year as a student at Queen's. I, prior to that, I'd grown up with a Christian background. I think I really believed the gospel and I was drawn to Christ, but had a big struggle inside. Handing over your life to Christ is a big step, and I wasn't really prepared for that at that point. But one day I was called off the rugby pitch at school to discover that my dad had taken seriously ill. I was 17, he was 47. Two days later, he was dead. And that turned my life upside down in terms of shaking me to the core. And uh, I had a very angry year, I suppose, inside, not so much at God, but just at life and, you know, and so on. We had kind of been best friends, I suppose, went to football matches and motorbike races and all that sort of stuff together. Suddenly he was gone. Dad was a Christian. Uh, A year later, I was at Queen's and three young friends of mine from my hometown, three girls, were singing at a week of mission in a Methodist church. And I'd had to learn to drive because I had to get up and down to Queen's, so... I, I was newly fangled with driving a little Volkswagen car, and they asked me to drive them down to this thing in a church. I sat outside on the street, didn't want to go in, but it was so cold, I found myself creeping in behind the pillar at the back. And for me, it was like a night of divine appointment, almost as though there were just God and me in that church. And I drove back the next night, really, to, if you like, put my life right with God, if that's the right expression. But the one thing I knew I didn't have the strength or courage to do was to tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And I remember praying... Lord, I don't know how to do this. Please help me. I, I seem to know that I was supposed to do that. But I was a student at Queen's, went back the next morning up to an engineering building, Ashby Institute, for a lecture. No lecturer turned up. There were probably 15 of us lads. It, it was a biology, agricultural science group. Started messing around, as lads do. Knocked over my file. All these leaflets from this thing the night before called Invitation to Live spread all over the floor. And all these lads picking them up and handing back. And I still remember that fateful question. Somebody said to me, are you good living? Which is a very Ulster Mm -hmm. question. And I found myself saying, no, but I became a Christian last night. And I'd said something. I got it out. Nobody shot me or ridiculed me. That was it. All the lads went out. And then one lad came back in again and said, John, I was very glad about what you said because I'm a Christian, but I've never told anybody. And so that was my first feeble attempt to even say I was a Christian. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got dragged into the CU and things from then on. But that, that was how it began for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But not easy. No, no. The good living one is one that comes up yeah. a lot, isn't it? Um, and then tell us, you then grew as a Christian. And you, you said this morning that you got involved a bit in CSSM missions and that kind of thing. How did that, how did that help you in this, in this area yeah. of sharing Jesus? Again, through a lad at Queen's, he dragged me, again, fairly reluctantly to this thing that I was terrified of. But we were trying to share the gospel with children down on the beach at Bally Home in Bangor and then later on in, in Malisle. And again, I wasn't good at it. In fact, I don't think any of us were very good at it, but we tried very hard to work out how do we explain this message to boys and girls. But the amazing thing to me was that when we tried to do that, the group that grew most was the adult group. And I learned a lesson then that When you're speaking at the level you think children want to hear the gospel, that's exactly the level that adults uh, seem to want it by and large. And our group grew and grew and grew until the biggest group was the group of adults. Mm -hmm. I probably was nowhere near where the children were, but uh, (laughs) anyway, and I still can't find it easy to speak really well to children. But again, that that was a great help. to learn to strip away some of the extra language? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. You've mentioned a little bit there that you you naturally find... Uh, sharing Jesus, difficult? Can you elaborate on that? What is it that you find hard? I, I suppose one is basic shyness. Number two is the fear of what people may ask or a response that they may get. And also, I don't particularly like being buttonholed, mm-hmm. and therefore I have no desire to do it with anybody else. Yeah. I find it quite embarrassing, and so I don't want to embarrass other people. So the normal mode of witness that we sometimes think we're... And, and some people are good at that, but I'm simply not good at that. So I never felt comfortable with that kind of witness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that, that, those would be some of my struggles. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And what, would, you still would have many of those today, I suppose, but you've found ways to get around those or to, they haven't stopped you from seeking to share Jesus? Can you 
talk about ways that you might have dealt with some of those? I suppose several things you learn over, over the years. I played quite a bit of rugby in those days, and I was in a rugby club. And I remember thinking, you know, how do you, how do you share Christ in a place like this? And I thought, I'm here to play rugby, so I'm going to do that. And I later on discovered the verse in First Peter, which says, be ready to give mm-hmm. a reason for the hope that is within you when people ask you. And I remember determining I would never speak to anybody about Christ unless they asked me. And so for two years, nobody did. <laughs> I just tried to play rugby. And you develop friendships. You develop genuine friendships. Lads, we, we traveled together, toured together. But there came a time when it was a very regular thing that folks would talk because they knew who you were and you, you had a friendship. And in that context, uh, almost after every game, actually, uh, conversations would would rise about the gospel and on tours and sharing rooms with lads and so on. So I think that's sometimes we need to earn the right Mm -hmm. to speak to people. Uh, When they ask us, then we have the right Mm -hmm. uh, to answer. Another thing I talked to Christoph this morning, we were thinking of prayer this morning, and Jane and David were up speaking about it. I suppose I used to think in prayer, of prayer is something you had to do to get God to change his mind. He was a bit reluctant, and the more we bombarded God, the more he would you know, give in to us. But I suppose my experience in Kilkenny and in Drogheda has been, as we have prayed, it's more or less as if God has drawn us into things he's already doing. Mm-hmm. So I see prayer less of a work that I've got to do to change God's mind and more our way of expressing our helplessness, saying, Lord, we can't really do this. But he draws us into the people he's already working with. And so you find that it's not something you're doing, mm-hmm. but it's something God is doing and he's drawing you along. And mm-hmm. you meet people, you bump into people, somebody happens to chance uh, have a conversation, and you f- find you're caught up in a whole web of things that were nothing to do with you in the first place. Mm-hmm. I find that helpful. And thirdly, I find it helpful to know that uh, at best we're a link in a chain. We don't have to, you know, take people the whole way along that chain to, to Christ. We may be at the start of it, we may be at the end of it, or somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. And sometimes just a word of encouragement to somebody or a conversation, you're helping somebody along the line. Mm-hmm. So, so we don't have to do everything. No, we don't. <clears throat> The other fourth thing I would say is that God seems to specialize in using useless people. So if you feel a bit useless, it seems, you know, from Moses to Gideon to, you know, David, the youngest of the... He always seems to specialize in using people who aren't very good at it or feel they're no good at it. So I think that's not a disqualification. Let's move forward a little bit now. You're now the minister of a church in Drogheda. Um, That, in some ways, makes you a little bit different from most of us who are involved in secular work or, or that kind of thing, you're actually employed to be a minister of the gospel. Tell us a little bit about how you see the difference maybe between our role and your role and how those two kind of fit together or work together. I find it very strange even when you ask that question because I don't feel like... In fact, I always was a very reluctant minister. The idea of becoming a reverend something and that seemed like going into another world... But for 37 years, I wasn't, anyway, I, was in, I worked in agricultural research and teaching and things. So most so of my life... you are in some way. Yeah, yeah most of my life was uh, not in this rarefied atmosphere of ministers. Uh, I think th- this is probably a personal thing. I've always felt an outsider in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, from the day I grew up, I've always felt myself slightly on the outside and felt myself probably more at home with people who were not church-going people than those who were. Mm-hmm. And therefore, when my call to come into full-time ministry became so persistent, I couldn't get rid of it. I felt my calling was to reach people who normally wouldn't want to come to church. So that, that was the first thing, and I still feel that. I, I, probably that's why I'm in the south of Ireland much of the time, because I feel I'm talking to people there who normally wouldn't be in our churches, and I feel much more comfortable there. But in terms of... The, the church's witness and the individual witness. I suppose I have a very simple philosophy of ministry, Sam. Uh, I, it needs to be simple for me to understand it, for starters. Uh, and, but I think it's also biblical. And I often I take as my model Matthew 5. Uh, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. I think one refers to the going out ministry, the penetrating of the salt out into the community. So everybody goes out. The light's the drawing in. There should be something about the church that draws people. And I was very influenced by hearing John Stott speak in Stranmillis many years ago. And he spoke then about the th- what he called the threefold secular search. The, the three things that people out in the community are looking for. He used big words for them. Uh, I had to look up what these mean. 
But the first one was the search for transcendence, which I think means for a spiritual dimension that's something beyond and above the material level. People need that and look for that. They maybe look for it in drugs or sex or drink or something else, but there's basically that God-shaped vacuum. Search for transcendence, the search for significance. In other words, we're, we're made for meaning. Uh, we can't just live without meaning, just to eat and drink and sleep and do the same the next day. We're always asking questions because God made us that way. Uh, and the third one was the search for community, that we were not made to be alone. We're meant for relationships. Uh, and John Stott pointed out that those three things are the very things that the gospel uniquely offers. And what we have tried to do, and certainly since Michael Kenny does, is to try to focus on those three things. The first one, the search for transcendence, the answer to that really is, is God the Holy Spirit among his people. And I think the one indispensable factor in any church is that God is there. That seems such a simple thing to say. But I think all of our denominations have a substitute for God. I think the Catholic denomination tend to stress the mystery of the Mass. The Anglicans are big into liturgy. Presbyterians into degrees and committees and subcommittees and sub-subcommittees and reports and more subcommittees. But we can get by very well doing all those things, but miss the most important thing. So you I have think, an idolatry of the committee. Uh, uh, yeah, that's why I don't go to Presbyterian. No, no. Uh, <laughs> but I think perhaps others are happy-clappy trying to whip up God's presence. But I don't, I don't think those are, any of those are a substitute for what happened in Corinth when people looked in and they said, surely God is among you. Mm-hmm. And that, that sense that God is among his people mm-hmm. is indispensable. When we went to Kilkenny, we had a tiny little square blocks of a building paint flaking off the ceiling. In fact, the ceiling looked as if you sneezed, it would come down. It was this angle. We didn't have a toilet. We had no lights. We had nothing. Pedal organ, the dust came out when you... So no great preaching, no great singing, nothing to attract people. Mm -hmm. But the one thing we said, Lord, when people come in, will will you be there so that they will sense your presence? Mm -hmm. And all I can say is that that's what many people said. They came, and I used to hope they would say, well, it was my great sermons, but they never said that at all. They said, we sensed God was there, and we came back. And I think the presence of the Holy Spirit is a challenge to our prayer. Uh, He is the one indispensable factor in the church. He is the attraction of the church. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we want to have substitutes. We want to entertain people. We want something that's... And what we're really saying is, this God is not attractive enough, so we have to use a substitute. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can use an illustration that often comes to me about four or five years ago, we celebrated 25 years marriage by going to Victoria Falls. And that was the most awesome experience I think I've had. It was in full flood. Uh, I think, I can't remember, it was April or May, whatever it was. And you've this enormous, you know, the thunderous noise. And uh, is it 100, it's, it's a mile long, 100 meters deep. And the thunderous noise and the spray up in there and rainbow after rainbow. It's so awesome. And I just felt overwhelmed by this awesome experience. And I remember thinking to myself, there are no bingo stalls here to attract people. Because the thing itself is so inspiring, so awesome. You don't need a a sub-attraction, as it were. And sometimes in the church, by all our little attractions, we're really saying the real thing, who is God, is not enough. And I think we need to remind ourselves that God, the Holy Spirit, is the supreme attraction of the church. That people will say despite our weakness in preaching and, you know, we're not maybe trendy in music or whatever it may be, we sensed that God was there among you. And so I think... that you see is particularly in, in, when God's people are together? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a promise, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But I, I think like the prophets of Baal, some people want to whip up God, but I think, you know, we see Elijah bowing before God and God the Holy Spirit came down. And I think that's what we need to pray week in, week out, every time we gather, Lord, will you be here among us? So that's, that's the first factor. So that's uh, the gathering this, in. Yeah, and, and the sense of God. Mm-hmm. Maybe quickly to the second, because this is turning into a sermon instead of an interview, but the search for significance. Again, I'm just very struck. We're living in an age when secular science tells us that our origin you know, was meaningless, some mindless big bang that had no movement behind it, and the end of our life is meaningless. And somehow between those two endpoints, we're meant to give meaning to our lives. And, of course, we can't do that. 
And in the Republic of Ireland at the moment, there's an epidemic of suicides among young people. And I'm very interested, just the, the Irish College of Psychiatrists debated this whole issue. And they, some years ago said it's to do with binge drinking, it's to do with alcohol and, and such like. But they came back to that a couple of years ago and they said, no, th- those are only symptoms. They reckoned that the real reason was a loss of a religious understanding of life. In fact, one of the words they used was a loss of significance among young people. And I think they're right. But we have the great privilege in the church mm-hmm. because we have this big story of the gospel that tells who we are and why we're here and what's gone wrong and how it can be put right and how we can connect with God's purpose. And so I think that's the great the challenges to our preaching, that we're helping people connect with this big story. And it, it means that preaching is a, it's a big message, you know, from creation in fact, one of the things in trying to connect with people, I discovered that sometimes they connect with one bit of the story and not with others. We had some Chinese, for example, came to us, came to our house. They weren't very good in English. So I took the little book called Journey into Life. I don't know if you know that little book. Page one is about creation. Page two is about sin, what's gone wrong with the world. Page three, the cross, and so on. And I thought the place would start as creation. Started to talk to them about, you know, the world, the universe. Do you ever marvel at it? Wonder why it's here, and so on. And they talked to each other in Mandarin for a few minutes, and then they turned back to him and said, nope. And they had no interest in that question at all. And I thought, you know, I was sure they would be interested. But then I said to him, look, turn to page two. Do you ever wonder what's wrong with the world, why there's so much violence and so on? And they, you know, talked again in Mandarin and said, oh, yeah. And then we began to talk, and that was the connection point with the big story. So I think our preaching has to connect with that big story, preach on the big themes, whether it's in Bible study groups or pulpit or one-to-one. And very quickly, the third thing is the search for community. We have discovered more and more that sometimes people come to the gospel community before they come to the gospel. I used to think the other way around. You've got to come to the gospel and then the gospel community. But to have a community where people are loved and welcomed and feel a sense of being and belonging, even though they're not yet Christian, and very often they're on a journey and they want to know what's going on here, and I, I think there's a biblical uh, underpinning for it. In First John chapter 4, John says, God, nobody's ever seen God. But when we love one another, God's love is manifest. So God can't be seen, but he can be seen to the outsider in a community of people where there's genuine love and acceptance and welcome and respect. And so we have a cup of tea like you have after the service. And people can stay for an hour and a half and they just engage and talk. And very often that's where the real work is done. Not the service, but the hour after. Sorry, I've rabbited on. That's the sermon over. So that, but those three things, I think, together are a powerful combination. For drawing, that's the sort of drawing yeah. people in. And then you, there's another part you mentioned, that the kind of going out, the, the salty kind of yeah. questions. How, how does that work? I suppose the reason I started where I did is I don't think there's much point going out when you have nothing to bring people to. But when they come to a community where God's word, God's presence, and God's love is felt, then we can bring them. I think the going out bit is just really ordinary Christians going out. Every one of us rubs shoulders with our circle of friends. Probably most of us feel we're no good at sharing the gospel. Probably most of us are just trying to live out our lives in our office. And when people raise questions, then we try to answer. But I think even to be able to say to folk, look, we're having a special week at the church. Do you want to come along with me? I think that in itself is okay for... We don't have to be able to necessarily answer all their questions. So you don't see our jobs as being to kind of preach the, to preach the sermon or give people the whole big story necessarily? Well, I don't, I don't, think, we, I don't think we should uh, have to feel we, we need to do more than we're, we feel comfortable doing. And, you know, we're all different. We all have different, I suppose, abilities and personalities. I think you've got to be yourself. And to the to the best of your ability, be a link in the chain. We have actually discovered that the best witnesses are the brand new Christians because they still have a pile of non-Christian friends. Most Christians lose them because they start coming to church meetings and over the years they have no non-Christian friends left. But these people who know nothing about explaining theology and are brand new Christians somehow communicate like there's something worth coming to and, and they bring them along to things. So I don't think we should get too hung up on how expert we are. Just humbly and sincerely and with a genuine concern for our friends and neighbours, try to invite them to things or say, say our bit and we're part of a link in the chain. Christoph, do you want to share any comments on 
uh, how that looks for us in Kirkpatrick or any thoughts you have? Um, not really, because <laughs> I think John has Can I done it that que- very well. well. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I would say is to make the connection, in, in case we haven't seen it, between the front lines thinking and learning that we have been doing. It's what John's been talking about here, just recognizing the everyday, the opportunities that we have to share Christ where we are. John. Maybe just one other thing in the going out bit. What we have tried to do, and I'm sure you are doing the same, there's nothing radical or even innovative about it, but we try to have events which are halfway houses for people between the church and the community. So, for example, we have a a Bible study every week in a hotel, and a lot of people will go there to the hotel because they feel comfortable who wouldn't come to the church. Men's breakfasts, ladies color me beautiful evenings, whatever they do in color me beautiful evenings, but ladies gather together for whatever they do in those evenings and they chat and there may be a little epilogue. Things like mother-toddler's groups that come in and maybe just see a sign for Christianity Explored and get to like the people and say, what's this about, can I come? So it's that kind of, it's not very structured. I was interested in your comments about the Bible studies that make meet in the hotel and that kind of thing this morning. What, what sort of person would come to one of those? Would they have to be a very interested non-Christian to come to that? Well, Sam, this is where I honestly think the Holy Spirit comes into it. I think God draws people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's amazing to me the people who turn up. Like, I wouldn't go to a Bible study in a hotel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but... People, in fact, my colleague Billy has this every week, and sometimes I stand in for him. I mean, for example, I did last week, but uh, there were rarely less than 30, 25 to 30 there every week. Now, maybe 10, 12, 15 are supporters, but you have other people filtering in completely from the outside. You don't know who will turn up, and some won't come back, and some will keep coming. And I'm convinced that there are people out there in Ballyhackamore, as in Drogheda, who are more anxious to hear the gospel than we are to tell them. And we just need to be able to somehow make contact. They're just ordinary folk like ourselves with the same questions as we do. And they seem to turn up. Though, mind you, I've, I've been at things where nobody turned up. I have to say that as well. And you just have to get on with it and say, well, it's okay. yeah, put it down to experience. Um, let me ask you a little bit about um, what you think might hold us back from sharing the gospel, maybe particularly here in Ulster from your observations. Obviously, you're mainly in the south, but you grew up here and spent a lot of time here as well. Strangely enough, people may think it's more difficult to go to the Republic, you know, from a, a, a Presbyterian Protestant perspective to share the gospel in the community with a very different tradition. But actually, I think it's much easier because I think a lot of people here have been there, done that type of thing. They've been through it. They've been gone to missions and been saved five or six times, as, you know, all that, the language they've learned. They're fed up with it. It doesn't seem to make any difference to how people live. And they don't want to know. Whereas in the Republic, I think people are much more excited that this is something fresh or different or new. So I think that is one difference that we have to our advantage. I mentioned this morning that we, I think it did, we moved to a new church building. We're bang opposite the biggest estate of 800 homes. And I thought we would try and get leaflets out to explain who we are as a church, church family, and say you're welcome to various things. But we never got that chance because the people simply started coming. And in one year, we have probably gained 50 families. That's probably a conservative estimate. Now, they're not all going to come every week, but they just start coming. And then they come along to Mother and Toddler's Group. They may come to Christian Explored or something else. They've just come. Now, I don't think that's going to happen maybe as easily in East Belfast because most people have been through the church experience. So I just think we've got to think of a fresh way of saying the same truths. You know, for example, I grew up, 11.30 morning service, 7.30 evening service. They were both identical except the sermon was different. And that almost became the ritual that one was expected to do to, do to be a church member. But it was a declining number coming at evening, a smaller and smaller group. And I began to think, what should we do with that Sunday evening event that would be much more appealing to the outsider? And I think we've got to think of fresh ways of not just doing what we've done. Uh, there's no biblical reason to have two identical services on a Sunday, for example. So I suppose we try to do things. We, we use a lot of meals. People like to gather for a meal. Mm-hmm. You know, we maybe have a talk in depression, say, uh, have a meal with that, get in a psychiatrist who happens to be a Christian. There's no gospel teaching as such in it, but it's underpinned by that. And people come into the building 
and then they want to know what it's about, and then they'll come back for something else. Uh, talk on rearing children or rearing teenagers or marriage or something by a Christian, you know, qualified Christian person. So anything that connects with people. And then I think the Holy Spirit tends to, you know, connect people with others, and you're into a web of things. And that's, that's how it seems to work for us. Okay, we'll, we'll stop there. I'll stop asking the questions now. And it's over to you guys. If there's uh, anything you'd like to ask John, um, following up from anything he said or just a random question, Christoph's got a microphone here. And if you just put up a hand, he'll come. And you can either whisper your question in his ear if, you're, if you don't want to say it yourself, or you can just say it into the microphone. So feel free to put up a hand if there's anything you'd like to ask John now. You mentioned earlier about the verse from First Peter about always be prepared. I just wanted to know how do you personally prepare for that? Okay, thanks very much. Uh, you all heard the question? Be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. Uh, sorry, your first name? Chrissy. 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 Oh, Chrissy. Chrissy, thanks. Chrissy, I suppose I spend a lot of my time just thinking how will I answer these questions that that come up. My background happened to be science, so I tended to think quite a bit on those sorts of issues. Uh, I find myself almost even driving the car thinking through these things. You know, if somebody says this, what would I be saying and so on? And a lot of it's trial and error. I mean, let me just mention on the the whole science thing, I think that the secular view is completely irrational. They seem to think that Christians are irrational. Well, I think there's no doubt it's the other way around. And one of the things that I think we need to be doing is not defending the gospel, but asking other people to defend what they believe. And so very often I would take that approach to someone uh, and say, okay, I mentioned one example this morning. If, if you were at church asking somebody, what is your view of life? And push them back. Uh, there's a man called Francis Schaeffer who used to write some very helpful books when I was a student. And he said, if you push people back along the line of their logic, whatever their view may be, you'll drive them right back to a point where they will contradict themselves or you will point them to Christ. Now, that may be an oversimplification, but I think it is true that we don't need to always defend the gospel. We need to go on the offensive or the, take the initiative and say, okay, tell me what you believe. Why do you believe that? So that means you believe this. So therefore, and you push them back and push them back, and you discover that those who don't believe in God actually have to live with a contradiction. So that would be one approach that I find very helpful. Rather than me defending what I believe, is asking them what they believe and pushing them backwards. And uh, it's helpful, I suppose, because it means we don't have to be philosophy professors. Yes. We just have to be almost curious about other people yes. and what they think and just keep asking those why questions, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, even such basic things, people go on about justice and human rights and so on, but take God out of the equation. There's no such thing as human rights. You know, if, if we really live by survival of the fittest, which we're, supposed, we're told that we do, where the strong eat the weak, if you like, or crush the weak, why was Hitler not right, you know, in, in crushing those that he thought were weak? Why should we care for the elderly and those with disability and so on? And everybody says, of course we should, but there's no logic unless you believe that human beings have a dignity and a value and a worth and so on, as we talked about this morning. So I think the secular view is irrational, and people need to be reminded it's not we who are oddbots. There's a rationality and, a, and a, a coherence about the Christian message, but there's not about the secular message. So on that particular area, that would be one approach, Christy, that I would use. I suppose you just read, you know, read books on whatever the particular issue may be. We we spend a lot of our Bible studies, we just debate through these things. Uh, I, I don't know if I can say much more than that. Maybe not very helpful, but uh, that's, that's one approach that we try to take, or I try to take. Yeah. Uh, any other questions? The cat's among the pigeons now, so. Trevor, is it over there? By the way, just when it's going down, I think it's Monty's going to ask a question. One other difficulty, of course, we have in Ulster is political religion. And I think we need to be clear and in no uncertain terms that what is often presented as the gospel in Ulster is not the gospel. For example, the gospel has nothing at all to do with King William. 
It's to do with King Jesus. And it's nothing to do with the Battle of the Boyne, which was fought down near Drogheda, but it's to do with the battle fought in Calvary. And it's nothing to do with British culture. It's to do with God's good news for all the cultures. So I think we need to absolutely distance ourselves from what is no, a non-gospel or a, another gospel which is no gospel. And uh, in Ulster, we have that particular hurdle to get over, that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. And we need to make sure in our churches that that's what we stand for. That's a huge stumbling block to people in the South when they look at the North and say, so your church is into this stuff. So I think that's the second stumbling block. So, Monty, that was just stalling while the mic goes to you. Oh, was it you? Sorry. Sorry, I'm Trevor. Oh, sorry, um, Trevor. And working in a hospital, um, I sense that everybody, or I hesitate to say everybody, but nearly everybody has a need for forgiveness. And most of us have skeletons in our cupboard. Most of us have things that we've done in our lives that we would prefer to forget. But there does seem to be a great barrier amongst uh, people out there. They have trouble parking and they want forgiveness for what has been. And psychiatrists will tell you that they get empty psychiatric hospitals if they could only get some means of forgiveness for their patients. So um, I suppose uh, my question for you is how do you, you've got to relate to people on an emotional basis, you've got to somehow get into their mind and uh, dig for what uh, you feel they need. But I think uh, part of that process is listening to divine appointments. What is God saying to me? And what can I say to this person um, on the back of what I'm being prompted to put to them? So we have got to be mindful of um, what God's saying to us. Uh, we've got to be mindful of most people's need for forgiveness. But what better way of getting over forgiveness than to uh, tell them about the gospel? And especially uh, having come through Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We have a powerful message out there that can allow people process the evil, if you like, that we all do in our lives and take them forward with the hope that the Christian faith allows us to bring to them in their lives. Just to make a comment on that, Trevor, though it's not just specifically on the issue of forgiveness, but I, I remember a very, what was for me a very powerful experience with one lovely girl in Kilkenny who we had come to know well, her husband had come to faith. And she she was, had just made a, a brand new profession of faith, and her little boy, who was the same age as our little boy then, 10 months old, I was called to the hospital, and in front of us he died with meningitis. And for 18 months, I couldn't quote the Bible to that mum. I couldn't. We just sat week. I visited every week. And sometimes we sat and said nothing. Sometimes we sat and cried. And sometimes we just talked through the whole thing. But I couldn't bring it in my heart to start quoting the Bible because she wasn't ready. And I don't think I was ready even to know what to say. But I remember about 18 months on visiting her on a Friday. And... She wasn't making any progress at all and saying something along the lines of, stupid question, really, and insensitive, you know, how are you? And she said, I, I have, I'm not friends with God. She said, I can't, you know, have anything to do with God. And the reason, she said, well, he's up there. You know, what does he know about what I'm feeling down, down here? And I remember saying to her, Martina, I, can un- I think I can understand exactly why you feel that but what do you feel about Jesus? And she said, he's different. At least he came down. He understands. And I remember saying to her, Martina, I know you know this, but maybe we've kind of forgotten it, but Jesus is the God that we worship. And in fact, it was Good Friday on that day. And as we talked through that whole thing, that almost, I think she would say to me, and has said several times since, it was almost the beginning of a process of healing, the, the realization that the God that she worshipped wasn't up there on the deck chair looking down, but was on a cross, and hung on a cross and understood where she was at. And so in her, her case, that was a connection point. 
wasn't quite the forgiveness issue, but it was the fact that God is incarnate and has come down and has been crucified. So it, it is an important thing to listen and find the point of connection for somebody. And it takes a lot of listening. In my case, it took 18 months at least to even begin to talk along those lines. I don't know, that's more pastoral care than witness, you might say, but I think we've got to be sensitive as we relate the gospel. Hi, John. Um, just interested in the, your church, if it's been getting 50, 60, 70 new families, uh, that's bound to raise lots of implications about how you nurture those people. And I think very often in the church, maybe we've gone to one side or the other. Some of us have been very, very strong on nurture and teaching, but have forgotten the evangelistic mandate. There's other churches that maybe it's all about getting people saved and there's no, nothing beyond the milk food. How do you manage to balance, you know, all these people coming in? You've other believers, maybe been believers for five years, seven years, maybe at different stages, spiritually different needs. How do you balance the nurture and keeping your evangelistic focus? David, I was hoping you would give me an answer to that because <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, what, I, what we try to do on just Sunday mornings, we teach week in, week out through the Bible we're going through Romans at the moment. It's really spelling out the gospel. And I have to hope that some of that sinks in over many, many weeks. Because I think the gospel lies at the heart of Christian living. It's not just the start of the ABC, but the whole thing. So I think by teaching the gospel and going fairly slowly through it, week in, week out, I, I hope, I have no way of testing this, but I hope that people begin to understand how this relates to their lives. So I place great weight just on a Sunday morning. Then we have house groups, maybe six or seven of those. And again, I've got to trust the leaders of those to be sensitive to the, the group they have. But we find a lot of our people come in are not yet Christians, come to the house groups. So you're trying to balance, you know, leading a Bible study on a subject with Christians for 40 years and somebody who's brand new. So you're, you're always trying to feel your way. I don't know how you do it, uh, but I think in the early church they probably didn't have many structures. I think the Holy Spirit seemed to be something to do with it. I think we mucked through. Honestly, I really believe that's what we're doing. And in that process, a lot of people seem to grow. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> I mentioned Danny, who turned up last Good Friday. And I've been amazed to see a man who came in with no faith a year on. And he hasn't done anything special or gone to much. Went to Christianity Explored, but that apart. He's now asking big questions, and he's growing, and he's wanting to serve. Uh, I don't place too much weight on programs. I just think the church as a family, we help each other. Uh, maybe that's my personality, Monday. I don't know. Others have very clear structures. Everybody's channeled down this route into this course or that course. But we have never done that, either in Kilkenny or Drogheda. And through the normal church life, I think, the preaching, the sacraments, the prayer, encouraging people to read at home, it seems to happen. Not with everybody, maybe, but... So there's a very unhelpful answer for you. The answer is I don't know. But that's, that's what we do. Uh, Thanks, John. Um, time for one or two more? Yep, Brian. Other people? Is there someone there as well? Yeah. Thank you, um, John, I was very struck this morning. You said about uh, the, the parable of the sower, that there's, there's quite a lot of... Uh, was it wasted seed or, you know, uh, the, he scatters a lot and there isn't much return? And I just wondered, is that something that has given you an encouragement over the years that, uh, that maybe not every outreach event will, will yield uh, a harvest, but that you just, you're called to kind of just keep scattering and, and, and leave, leave it with God? Has that encouraged you and, and the things that you've, you've tried? And yeah, sorry, I, the first name I heard, not John, Johnny, no? Brian. Sorry, Brian. Sorry, Brian. Uh, Brian, it is a big encouragement because we have far more failures than successes. And probably nine out of ten things you try, you don't see much come from them. But actually, I'm not even sure I really believe that either. As I said this morning, one of the only advantages I know of getting older is that you see things in the long term. And I keep meeting people who came to faith and say, what well, was it such and such a meeting? And it was a hopeless meeting. As far as we were concerned, we went, we were involved somehow in it, and it was apparently useless. But years later, you discover it was that very thing that someone, it was crucial for somebody. So I, I don't ever write off any meeting, but it seems like 
there's a lot of wastage, doesn't it? You pray and pray and pray and people's lives don't seem to change. You teach and teach and teach and they don't seem to change. So you've got to accept, I think those parables are very helpful to me because that's what I experience. A lot of disappointment, a lot of failure, a lot of discouragement. But thank God that the good seed finds good soil. And what I found, because I'm getting older in life and life's getting short for me, I don't spend a lot of time running after people who are not interested. I tend to go with those where the Holy Spirit seems to be working and people have a hunger. I spend my time with those people. And I don't, I don't haul reluctant people to church or try to entertain them to church. I try to go with the people where God seems to be working and, and not, not spend my time you know, persuading the reluctant. So that, that saves a lot of time for starters. And it means you can focus on those where God is, where they seem to be going forward. Life's too short, apart from anything to do otherwise. So I find that, whether that's just psychology or not, I don't know, but it helps me. I think, was there one more question just in the middle here? I imagine that prayer must underpin most of what you do in Drogheda. And I was just wondering how you formalize prayer within your church. Sorry, first name is? Hilary. Uh, Hilary. Hilary, I would love to say we have huge numbers attending, but I can't say that. I wish we had more. But wh- when we went to Kilkenny, I, I was conscious that this was the, our greatest need, that the Holy Spirit would be with us. And I couldn't get one night that there was a small group there. We couldn't get one night that everybody agreed would be suitable for prayer. So it looked like there would be no prayer meeting. And I remember saying in inner sort of slight disgust or frustration, I'm going to be down at the church half eight Saturday morning. If anybody wants to join me, I'll be there. And for 18 years, the prayer meeting, and still going on 25 years on Saturday morning in Kilkenny, that became our prayer meeting to begin with. Uh, then we pray in our house groups. We do the same in Drogheda. Uh, we, we pray in our house groups. And I, su- I suppose we, we have nothing very formal like prayer chains. So, some people text each other and that sort of thing. I, I, I wish, Hillary, we had more people praying. But I suppose my way of, again, whether I'm rationalizing it or not, is the Lord can save by many or by few. And I often say to the group at the prayer meeting, we're not a big number, but the Lord doesn't need a big number. We're bringing the needs of the church to him, so let's do it. Uh, I'd love more to be going. But as I was saying earlier, I don't think it's big numbers. I don't think it's even the length of time you pray or how fervently you pray. It's coming under helplessness, our impotence to God's omnipotence, and asking that he will keep us in step with what he's doing. That's all we're doing. I wish I could tell you more than that, but I can't. That It's a relatively small number. What had we 12 yesterday morning, Sandra, at the prayer meeting, something... Sometimes it's less, sometimes it's more. That's it. House groups, they will pray. We encourage people to pray at home. We pray on Sunday mornings, but nothing to write home about. Nothing I can boast about or say, you know, this is how we do it. You do it our way. We could learn from you, I'm sure, in this respect. But, but I still feel even a small number coming before God is a way of bringing the church and its needs to him. And that's what we do. Thanks, John, very much. Well, that's all we've got time for in terms of questions from the floor. If I could just invite Christoph to come back. I've got a surprise question for him. Um, he should hopefully be quite well prepared for this question. But um, as you know, we've got, we're thinking about the centenary, and we're linking that with the idea of... Well, actually, I'll let Christoph explain. Christoph, w- w- tell us about the centenary, and we're about to be breaking into groups to just pray in some of what we've been learning with a particular view to the centenary. So could you tell us what this centenary stuff is all about and any particular things that we could be praying for ourselves? Um, just before I do that, uh, I want to um, thank John for everything that he's shared today. I, I know you would, uh, you'll do that in a moment, Sam, but the thing that struck me listening both this evening uh, as well as this morning, um, I don't know... John's ministry close up, so I wasn't sure what we would get here today. Um, if you're a Presbyterian in Ireland who has their wits about them, you know about John Woodside, you know about Kilkenny, you know about Drogheda. Um, what's really struck me, uh, John and Sandra both, is the, um, 
the humility, uh, the simplicity of your work, how you conceive it. It's just a, a simple obedience to God. Uh, let's preach his word, share the gospel as well as we're able, uh, and trust him to do something with that. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you've heard that today, folks, whether it sounded like a, a foreign language from what we normally are doing here or whether it actually sounded quite like what we are trying to do here and we just heard of another brother and sister who are doing the same thing somewhere else. That's certainly how I felt, uh, felt it today, uh, just a huge amount of shared um, uh, vision and understanding of, of what God's calling on the church is. Sam, your question about um, this uh, centenary. Um, We started the conversation about this in Kirk Session in the autumn time, so it's been rumbling around for a while. Um, We very quickly came to the conclusion that we didn't want our centenary at Kirkpatrick Memorial to be some sort of uh, Kirkpatrick cheerleading event. You know, isn't the world so much better because we have been here 100 years um, that quite often is what centenaries of churches can feel like. Uh, they can be quite self-congratulatory. Um, we we realized that that wasn't what we wanted, um, and we we were quickly drawn to the idea of uh, reminding ourselves and reminding our our neighboring community what our our understanding our vision and our purposes so rediscovering jesus is something that we're interested in doing uh, we're talking about sharing jesus in our discipleship groups these days so uh, for the last uh, few weeks and right through till the summer you guys are studying mark's gospel together um, all we're hoping for really is that we each one of us can understand the gospel a little bit better so that we're better placed than we were to to share it with other people. Um, I'm relieved this evening to hear John say that he doesn't regard himself as a star personal evangelist because I'm something the same. Give me this and 300 people, but, you know, don't put me one-to-one maybe. Uh, Well... I think in the right circumstances, I would enjoy it. But, but I share the nervousness um, that, that I think most of you have. It's only a, a small number of us who are massively uninhibited in this area who just go for it. And that's quite a rare thing. But we can all uh, learn to, to think well about what Jesus has done for us and, and be able to explain it to other people. Um, I think this has been a really a really good few months for us in our discipleship groups. We've thought about front lines, all those places where we meet people and the kind of people we meet. And what we're trying to do now is to say, well, what kind of conversations could we have with those people on our front lines? And that's it. And our, our vision as a church for our centenary, I think we will want to celebrate here at the end of June We'll want to have a moment in time where we look back and thank God for a hundred years of of Christian witness here. But much more than that, we'll want to be saying, uh, Lord, come come and use us in the present. And Lord, show us what the future is. We don't have any grand designs. We haven't written a 10 year plan that we're asking you to sign. You show us how we could serve you and reach more people. Um, so that's really our, our vision. You're in your groups doing the sharing Jesus stuff. We'll have the, the service at the end of June. In the autumn time, we're going to have a more concentrated season of, of really trying to put some of this into practice. Everything this side of the summer is really preparing ourselves. But in, in the autumn time, I don't know if this this penny is beginning to drop or not, but we're going to have two months of, um, it, I would say, evangelistic teaching in our Sunday morning services, the kind of thing that you could bring people to. Uh, it, it seems to me 
you know, John talked about the, the hotel Bible study, and you were honest enough to say, John, you couldn't imagine yourself going to that. Some people are willing to go to Christianity Explorers that we run in a coffee shop, but others won't. So in the autumn time, we're doing a different thing. We're, we're effectively bringing the, the learning experience of Christianity Explored into our Sunday morning service. So what we could all be thinking about is, you know, is there a person or is God going to bring somebody across my path this next while whom I could invite along to church for that first week or two, see if they, they bite and, and stick, see if, if they encounter God's spirit in the way that John's talked about, heard something in his word. And so we'll be doing that. So that's, that's really for the person who thinks, goodness, I could never say anything, but I could invite somebody. We could try that. We're also going to, we're going to be encouraging you to, to use the little Mark's Gospels that we're going to be giving out to, to see if there's somebody nearby you who'd be interested in reading Mark's Gospel and reading it with them, having conversations with them. You, you can work out how uh, that would make sense for you. We'll provide some uh, stuff to help you think about that too. Um, we, we really just want to rediscover Jesus ourselves, to share him better. And if you hear us talking about this in quite low-key terms and very gentle ways, that's exactly where I want to be. I, I want each one of us to know that we can take one small step further in sharing Jesus. Not to turn into Billy Graham or Becky Peppert overnight. Just to, just to be a little bit more ready to speak about Jesus than we maybe have felt in the past. So those are some of the things, Sam, that, that we're working on just now. Thanks. Well, thanks uh, very much to John. As Christoph said, we've really appreciated you coming up and, and sharing uh, your experiences with us today and God's Word as well. So thank you. Um, what we're going to do now is just split where we are into sort of groups, maybe turn around uh, and find a little group uh, where you're sitting. And we'll just spend five minutes um, praying for ourselves in light of all that we've been thinking about today and in light of what's coming up uh, in the future. We maybe don't share particular prayer points with each other, maybe just say hi to each other and then launch in. Uh, to a few prayers, and I'll draw us back together for a closing song in about five minutes or so.